father's funeral, I wasn't even alive. It was uh, my dad's dad passed away when he was five. So picture the assurance of hearing that song and just what it resonates, like with my parents, for example. Um, they're in Florida. I'm not jealous. But um, I will say that uh, parents do a great job and sometimes fail at showing and demonstrating love. But much of what I've learned about loving other people has been a result of my dad and my mom. But particularly my dad holds that spot of just like really demonstrating some things for me. So dad, if you're watching, you'll probably watch later on the beach or something. But uh, thank you. So um, why don't we dive into prayer? We're talking about loving others today, a super simple topic that all of us really excel in. So 10 words and we'll all just kind of leave and we'll be in good space. Father, thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done, for demonstrating your love toward us in that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Even those here who are still actively rejecting you, you died for us. So strengthen our minds and our hearts now as we turn uh, worship from proclamation and singing to the application of our mind to the truth that you want our hearts to grasp, that our hands and feet can walk out in obedience and faith and love. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So turn in your Bibles, sorry, I forgot pew Bible page number, uh, but find 1 John chapter 3, and we'll go from there. Um, one of the things that's interesting, if we're going to talk about loving other people, is that we need to define love, right? That feels like a moving target these days, doesn't it? Because anymore, love is being expanded and defined to include whatever I want to set my affection upon. I can, I can aim for And if it brings me satisfaction, then I can say, yeah, I love that. Like, really? Is that really the measure uh, for how to understand what love is? Or is there a more objective standard that we could grasp that would change our thinking and help us to live out the commands of Christ in a biblically honorable way? Well, I think there is. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women. Think about that for just a minute, especially in this hyper-cancel culture age that we live in. If I say something offensive, just mute me and I'm done, right? It's easier to be enthusiastic about all of humanity. But when it comes down to specifics, listen to the rest of what he says. Especially, sorry, then it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving no one in particular. How easy it is to say, oh yeah, yeah, I love these people. I love this church, right? But specifics are, some of you have hurt me. You, I've hurt. So now what do I do? 
Now what do I do? How do I respond now if I have the objective standard of myself? If I say, I define what love is, how do I respond? Well, I just, I'm self-serving. Brent, you, you were mean to me. I'm done with you, right? I'm going to avoid you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to, that's what we do. So there must be something better than what we think. You see, I would say it this way. If you're writing this down, this is probably the big idea that we want to grasp for today, that we know love because of Jesus. And we show love with the help of his. I'm not going to show Brian Hep love unless the Spirit helps me. Let's be real. That's going to be challenging, right? But there's, we need to understand this. It's huge. So we're going to be looking at three different things today. The love of Cain, the love of Jesus, and the gift of the Spirit. Let's dive right in. I'm going to have you do something a little bit interesting. Stand up. We're going to read passages uh, in different chunks, but each time I call us to read a passage, stand up, hold your Bible like you believe it. Even if you don't, that's okay. We're glad you're here. Um, But we want you to understand that God's Word is authoritative. It stands over my experience, over my frustrations, over my wounding, and it says, I. So he says this, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Go ahead and take your seats. See, it's clear, the, the message that we're getting at with the love of Cain, that's the first example that we see here is the love of Cain. The overall idea is just this, what motivates your love for others? You see, the message was extremely clear. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. If you go back and you read in 1 John, you're going to see this repeated almost in every chapter, this idea that we love other people. The message is we need to love other people. Okay, that's pretty clear. The message we have heard from the beginning, Jesus stated this back in John chapter 13, where he had said, a new command I give to you. Love one another, and how? As I have loved you. Now, that's a qualifier. So now it's not just like, hey, Judson, love Liam. And this is weird. Sorry, you're so Judson, love Liam like you want to love him, which means, eh, if I don't want to love him today, I don't love him. Who cares? Liam's going to be none the wiser, right? But that's not what you know to be true because you're walking with Jesus. And actually, it says that you're supposed to love Liam as Jesus loved you. That's a whole different ball of wax, isn't it? How are we going to do that? How in the world am I going to display sacrificial, obedient, faith-filled love toward you if I don't even like you? How? Well, we find from Cain a bad example. And this is what we need to understand about the Scriptures. There's like 75% of the scripture is story. And story does not mean God condones. 
Story means God allows and uses for explanation and for instruction and for encouragement and hope. As Romans 15 says, it, that's the whole point of it. The whole point is not to go, oh, yeah, in Genesis it said that you could have, you could, you could have a number of wives. No, no, no. Find me one example in Genesis where a man married more than one woman and it worked out for him. Like, it just didn't. One wife is hard enough, fellas. You don't need to, like, make life harder, okay? And so the whole picture that we're getting at, we're seeing something in Cain. He said we should not be like Cain. Cain was full of pride and anger, and it led to murder of his own brother. And you may be thinking, well, how do you really, I don't know, how, is that really, how do we know that Cain wasn't, uh, you know, didn't have just cause? Well, we certainly don't have any, anything in the text that points to something other than a murder that was uncalled for, as though it ever would be. But if we're defining love by the standard of Christ, do in just a moment, then we can see where Cain went sideways. Let's, just for a moment, for, in terms of an example, let's explore Cain just a little bit. I want to read Genesis chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read Genesis chapter 4, just a couple of verses. Okay, so Adam and Eve get pregnant. They have Cain. They have Abel. And then a lot of time passes, and, um, and we learn um, that Abel was a keeper of sheep, he was a shepherd, and Cain was a worker of the ground. He was a farmer. So it says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of blood is crying out to me from the ground. So what are some things that we learn about Cain? Well, probably the first thing, and it's not even really said in the text, it's something that we can probably just infer. Most likely, Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, which means he was probably raised in a godly home. Fair, fair assumption, I think. Not a whole lot of other influence going on when it's just like the four of you, right? So you have this picture here of Cain being raised in a godly home. But some of the other observations that we have from Genesis 4 our number one, he was prideful. That's in Genesis 4, 5. We also know he was miserable. It says he, his face fell. The New Living, I think, actually captures it even more poignantly where it says he looked dejected. And then after that, we know that Cain didn't listen. God says, hey, look, sin's at your door. It's crouching. It's ready to rule over you. You must master it. And, and he gives him this warning, and he doesn't listen. So we see the pride. And then we also see the hatred in him. 
and then eventually the murder of his brother in verse 8. And after that, we see this picture of hiding. And you're like, well, why does all this matter? If we're studying love, why why, at at a horrible example? Because truth to life, knowledge is never enough. Your knowledge, the amassing and the accumulation of more knowledge on how to love somebody else never actually supplants the command to do it. And part of the issue that happened with him is the, he has this knowledge. This is what we do. We read this and we're like, oh yeah, 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 I should love them. I, I, should, I should love, I should have, I should go to another Bible study and read John and 1 John and learn how to love. Helpful, yeah. I mean, certainly it would be. And, and you need to have the foundation of Scripture as your truth, what that looks like. But I would just say this, motives have to be explored for love. Why am I loving this person? Why am I demonstrating love toward this individual? You think, well, how do you really explore that? Think of it this way. Am I loving this person for approval? Or am I loving this person out of an overflow and a response from what Christ has done for me, to me, and in me? That's a whole different consideration. Because I think what happens is we don't look at it that way. Here's, here's the flip. Flip the, the question this way. You can figure out this, the answer to this question of this person next to me by asking, what happens to me if, and I'll use my case, what happens to me if my wife Jessica doesn't receive my love? What's my internal conversation? What's happening in my heart? What do I then try to manipulate or control or manage or move in in order to get her to respond to my love? That's what's happening with Cain. He gave an offering. It just says he gave an offering. His brother gave the firstborn. It's a difference of faith and obedience. One gives everything he has to the glory of God, trusting, loving that God is going to give him what he needs going forward. The other one says, eh, the best for myself. I'll give God something. And most of us are in that boat. From one time or another, or at one time or another, most of us are in this boat of like, yeah, I I, I just give God bits and pieces. Let's be honest. So what if someone doesn't receive the love I give from a truth-to-life perspective? Well, that definitely leads us to this place of Jesus, which is next, the love of Jesus that we see. So back to your feet. Let's read 1 John 3, verses 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Have a seat. So, here's how from this passage I would define love. And you can um, agree or disagree with this. I think that love is sacrificial action springing from a personal choice that is fueled by joy. 
You see, in Hebrews 12, it says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, who was the person who started the faith and who's going to complete the faith. And it says that he did all that. Why? Because there was a joy set before him. He knew that his aim was joy. And if he was aiming for joy, then obedience and faith must be the action that he would do all the time. And so in him, we have a perfect example. So love is sacrificial action springing from a personal choice. Jesus chose it. He didn't feel it. He, he didn't sit in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating, go, not feeling it today, God. You could actually make the case he said, not feeling it today, God, but because you said so. It's a sacrificial action I'm going to make, and it's springing from this personal choice that you love me and you know me, and it comes from this place of joy. It changes everything. It changes how I engage people who don't like me or that I don't like. I think some of us have confused obedience or obligation. And let me just say it this way. Obligation is not the same as sacrifice. It just isn't. In a context like ours, where your involvement in church activity and church ministry is somehow a measurement of your love, and we think that service is king, we think then that you're obligated in certain ways. And so we elevate obligation over this idea of sacrifice, and we don't understand. God wants our whole heart joyfully, just like Jesus. So what motivated Jesus to love others? Well, clearly, it says, by this we know love. It's the same message. What was Jesus' method? Well, it was sacrificial faith and obedience. You see that it says in his life. And even Romans 5.8 talks about how he demonstrates his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So he's, his, his constant communication is love, and his method was the cross. There is no greater picture of someone who would lay down at great cost to themselves their life for you and for me and for everyone else who would still say, yeah, sorry, Jesus, I'm not about what you're offering. That doesn't change his offering. Think about it from your perspective. If I'm going to continue to offer and offer and offer and offer love to my spouse or to my kids, and they're going to continue to push back against it and not receive it, how long say, it's time for a boundary? How long until I start putting limits on my love? And then the question I would just ask you in that situation is this. Is that consistent with Jesus? You see, we often make the mistake of obligation or just death of Jesus and think, oh, yeah, yeah, That's, that was love. Think of it this way. If a man jumps off a pier and drowns, you're standing at the end of the pier, <clears throat> and while drowning, he shouts out, I love you! Um, it's a big deal, right? I mean, like, why would that matter? Even if it was somebody I didn't know and he jumps in and he screams out, I love you, and then he drowns. And you're like, okay. We can't make the mistake of viewing Jesus' death that way. 
Because Jesus' death is connected to Jesus' resurrection. So when Jesus, so to speak, jumps off the pier and drowns for us, he's saying, I love you, but it's a demonstration of a life lived before the death and what's coming after the death. It's what his death does for us, everything. So the question then for all of us is, do you know love? Love like Jesus defines it. Love like Jesus embodied it. Love like God wants you to know of. Do you know that love? Is that something that you wake up every morning and you're like, man, I can't wait to dig into the scriptures because they're going to encapsulate for me what God is all about for me, what his heart is for me, what his heart is for the community, for the world, for my family? Or is it just more of like, I got to go to church because it's Sunday morning. Or I'm, I'm doing a reading plan and so I better check the box. You know, check mark. I, I've done my faith. That's it. Do you know love? And the way that you begin to know this and, and appropriate it, and by appropriate, I mean like put it into practice, let it grab every tentacle of your heart in this light. You have to understand that your sin is great, our God is greater, and that you're safe in his love. So that you can entrust to him your failures, and every one of us in here can go yes and amen. Every failure I've ever had, every stupid choice I made in college, every dumb word I ever spoke to my wife, every unhelpful action I've ever had toward one of my children, every boneheaded move I've ever made at work, right? And then I'm safe in his love. Why? Because when all those things happen, the person may look at me and say, I'm done with you. Who doesn't say, I'm done with you? It's Jesus. Jesus doesn't look at you and go, hey, you screwed up again. Bye-bye. I'm done wasting my time on you. Some of us need to hear that this morning, that Jesus is not looking down with some wagging finger of condemnation, like you're a pile of trash, get your act together, I can't believe I saved. No. It's the whole purpose. He knows I'm a pile of trash, and he still wants to make me into something beautiful by his sacrifice and his love. I get to a point where I can really begin to internalize that and understand that. That changes how I love the person next to me who struggles to treat me well. It's just a whole different way to think. So we have the love of Cain, bad example. The love of Jesus, best example. But then we're left with this thing. This, I don't love people like I should. Just this week, I'm thinking through my last week, and I'm thinking, how many times did I not love someone like I should? Whether it was a thought whispered in my mind, whether it was an action from my hand, or words over my children, or to my wife, like whatever it was, I don't love well. So back to your feet, we're reading the last chunk of scripture, and we're going to find out what we need. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. I love that. In this day and age where truth is just like a total moving target and anybody gets to define anything, truth is right here. Truth has been for thousands of years on this page for our hearts and for his kingdom. 
By this, we know we are of the reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Super helpful. <laughs> Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Love God, love others. It really is that simple. Just as he commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Go ahead and take your seats. Obedience is... Because with obedience, you have this picture that says you, you're beginning to understand the heart of God when you listen well. You can, you can begin to make requests that would be in line with God. That's how you receive whatever you ask is because you're asking what Jesus would ask if he was speaking through you, right? It's not some fancy pie in the sky, name it, claim it, garbage theology. This is your heart becomes so in tune with him that the things you're asking are actually things he asks and things he wants, But it's just interesting because he says, <clears throat> this is how we know we're of the truth and we reassure our hearts before him. And you think, well, why would we need to reassure our hearts? And I think it's probably helpful if we think of it this way. Because condemnation is Satan's knee-jerk response to your failure. And it's the internal narrative that you're going to have in failure. You're not good enough. You're stupid. You failed again. You can't get it right. Your marriage is always going to be this way. Work is always going to be this way. Friends are always going to treat you this way. And we play this song in our head over and over and over again. And can I just say that condemnation's only remedy is Christ's love. There's need that works. That's why we need to reassure our hearts before him. See, Hebrews 11.6 says that faith pleases God because we come knowing that he exists and that he rewards those who seek after him, who chase after him. What sort of reward are you chasing? Well, I, you know, I just, I want to get that promotion. <clears throat> or I just, if, if, if this person would just tell me that I did a good job, he rewards those who seek him. Seek him. Seek him. The second part of that verse where it says God is greater than our hearts is so helpful. <clears throat> the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is desperately wicked. It's, it, meaning it's kind of double-minded. It, it thinks one thing acts another way at times. And so while... Um, God is making our heart new in salvation, there are still some residual effects of sin. And when condemnation comes on, it flips on the switch and it's like, here you go, you can start thinking all those old thoughts and, and everything again. And what happens <clears throat> with the love of Christ is that we rest in what is declared in Scripture to be true, in the character of, because there will be times when our heart's like, oh man, I really whiffed on this one. And you did. And that's about the point that it should stop. 
right? I really whiffed on this one. Thank you, Jesus, that your sin, that your blood washes me clean. Thank you, Jesus, that it is well with my soul. Thank you, Jesus, that you do what I could never do for myself. Thank you, Jesus, that you overcome condemnation. So they're never, hear me, that accusation of Satan can never overcome the affirmation of the Father unless you let it. That's a critical one. So I thought maybe it'd be helpful for us to understand. The reason he gives us his spirit, yes, it's to seal us and to make us understand that we belong to him. But the other reason that he gives us his spirit is to remind us and to help us. Because if I'm a six-year-old, as you're going to see here in a moment, or if I'm a 12-year-old, or if I'm an 80-year-old, love may look different in how I express it to different people in, in a different season of life. Somebody who has all the time and resources They're going to be able to love by giving. There are other people who barely have two nickels to rub together. They're not going to be able to give large portions of money or time, are they? And so love looks different in how we express it, but the message is the same. The methodology differs. So first, uh, this question of Theo Ellis, one of my favorite well-dressed six-year-olds, and... um, and, and I took a, just a brief video, just like, what does love look like or how do you love? And uh, I think Caleb's going to throw that up on the screen real quick. I love other people. Um, sometimes they can be nice. Sometimes they can be helpful. Sometimes Jesus can be helpful and God. Mm-hmm. So I love God and Jesus because they're very special mm-hmm. and very helpful. That's awesome. And as a as a son with your mom and your dad, what's one way that you love your mom and your dad? Uh I help them. Hmm. And And how do you help? Do you change Winston's diaper, things like that? No way. That's disgusting. <laughs> what do you do? Do you clean things up? Do you Yes. Yeah. And I um help decorate something Mm. and help wash the house. All right, so if you're wondering what love looks like for a six-year-old, it it involves decorating the house and pressure washing the house. So, I mean, (laughs) I don't know what your six-year-old's doing, but come on. Right. So, So love looks a little bit just like this piece of like, okay, it's obedience and it's helpfulness. Pretty simple, right? Like, we don't have to complicate. This isn't rocket science. Uh, Next person I had a little chat with was uh, Alex Doring, who has a flair for the theatrical. And so uh, here's, here's his response. Go ahead and throw that up there. That's a good question, Hadaway. What is love? And so I decided to try to find what love is. So I look at the greatest example of love, which is my salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, God was looking at him, and God saw Jesus hanging there by the nails. And God knew that this is hurting Jesus, but he decided to put Jesus in the world so he could save my sins and your sins. This is love. So I'll bring this to real life. My parents are exceptionally amazing. And it's very easy to love them, but sometimes it's not easy 
when they punish me or put limits on what I do. If I were to stay up till four in the morning, they say, no, you cannot do that because you have school tomorrow, you have this, 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 this. It gets very overwhelming and sometimes it's very hard to obey like what they're doing. But it's still very easy to love them. And I still choose to obey because I love them. All right, so a few takeaways from that video. Um, First of all, if you need parenting advice or parenting life coaching, apparently exceptionally stupendous, I think, was the description of, uh, of Brent and Christy, so congratulations. Secondly, um, there's, there's a picture here of, I mean, 4 a.m. must be an unreasonable bedtime during the week for school, for Alex, but uh, there's limitations to love right? Like, hey, I'm not just going to let you eat whatever you want and go to bed whenever you want. It's just not loving. So we, we even see here with the 12, the, uh, the understanding that limit is loving. Boundaries in parenting and in this far and no further is actually a loving thing. Now, the last one that I have, um, if any of you know Jerry Souter, a few of you do, he really loves being up front, loves like the spotlight, Yeah. <laughs> And uh, the, the funny thing is, um, I had to really dig for this. Like, I called him up, I'm like, Jerry, I need you to, you know, come speak. And he's like, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's not happening. And, and as we talked just a little bit further, I said, well, can I just quote you? So hopefully I don't misquote. But uh, when I asked him, I said, what does love look like in your... Now think about this. We've had a six-year-old, we've had a 12-year-old, and we're, we're advancing to, I think Jerry's 81 And he says this, it's a lesson that I've learned from my father. I get so much joy out of just giving. When I was younger, I was busy, preoccupied with parenting and work. And now that I'm older and I have more time and resources, I find a ton of joy in just meeting needs. And and what's really fun to do with people who are like Jerry is to meet a need of theirs. And so there was one time we were having like uh, birthday celebrations. They're kind of like our surrogate grandparents. And, and let pass a desire that he has. And Jerry doesn't do that very much. So you really have to be listening. He had said something about, boy, sure would be nice at one of my birthdays if I'd get an ice cream cake. And my mother-in-law picked up on this, right? And so selfish Jerry got himself an ice cream cake and I have video evidence. So let's go ahead and take a look here. Happy <laughs> So sacrifice in Zins looks a little bit different, right? For someone like Jerry who has time and resources, he's able to do those things. For those of us that are around him who may not have time or resources like he does, it's easy to feel threatened and be like, oh man, I don't know about that. But here's the reality. We all have something to offer in terms of what sacrifice, faith, and obedience looks like, and that is loving when displayed toward others. So as the worship team comes back up, we're going to close with this song. And um, when the song's over, you guys will just go ahead and be dismissed. But here's what I want you to do. Because we preach all this and we're like, okay, uh, amen, go. And then we're thinking about lunch, we're thinking about all these other things. But here's what I want you to do. You can listen, just sing this song. Um, You could just let the words and the, and the, the picture wash over you.
That's helpful. But one of the things that I want you to do, if you're taking notes just with your pen, I want you to jot down Zechariah chapter 3. And I don't know that I really want to provide any other explanation than just read Zechariah chapter 3 and look at the demonstration of love in that chapter. It's super short. Um, I would encourage you to do it throughout the course of this week, maybe once, twice. But the whole idea is standing before the Lord, knowing that we should be accused and condemned, and looking at how the Lord absorbs what should be ours to show us his love. And so more than anything, we know love because of Jesus, and we show love because of his spirit. We need wisdom from his spirit to show love.